Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into Winners Take All by Anand Giridharadas, a revealing examination of the paradox within global philanthropy and activism. Published in 2019, this insightful book uncovers the sophisticated methods the global elite use to maintain the status quo under the guise of creating positive change. Giridharadas exposes how efforts by the wealthy to address the world's problems often perpetuate the very injustices they claim to be solving, masking their role in these issues with the language of change and reform. Anand Giridharadas, a best-selling author, editor-at-large for Time magazine, and former foreign correspondent and columnist for the New York Times, brings his vast experience and sharp analysis to the table. His work has graced the pages of The Atlantic, The New Republic, and The New Yorker, making him a respected voice on issues of justice and equity. Giridharadas is also known for his books The True American and India Calling, which further explore themes of cultural and social dynamics. Winners Take All is a must-read for global citizens concerned about social justice, individuals seeking to understand the mechanisms through which the rich and powerful dominate global affairs, and even plutocrats interested in introspection. By providing a critical assessment of modern-day philanthropy and its limitations, Giridharadas invites readers to question the existing systems of power and to imagine new pathways toward equitable change. Join us as we explore how, despite noble intentions, the current approaches to solving the world's problems often fall short and what can be done to truly make a difference. Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World Introduction, Unveiling the Illusion, How the Elite Preserve Their Power under the guise of change. In a world where innovation and technological advancements promise a brighter future, there's an unsettling paradox at its very core. As skyscrapers reach ever higher and gadgets become integral parts of our personal and professional lives, the question looms large. Who benefits from all this progress? The harsh reality is that the spoils of our modern age disproportionately fill the coffers of the wealthy, leaving the average person grappling with the feeling of being left behind. Indeed, the figures are stark, with billionaires' fortunes burgeoning at rates that dwarf the incremental earnings of the broader population. An astounding 90% of the planet's wealth is concentrated in the hands of a mere 10% of its people. Against this backdrop of inequality, a fascinating narrative unfolds one where the very architects of this divide ostentatiously parrot the language of social change and global betterment. Businesses flaunt their commitment to ethical practices and sustainability. Thought leaders convene to discuss the pathways to global justice, and philanthropists generously share tales of their contributions to society. However, beneath this veil of benevolence and progress lies a more insidious reality. This script of change, as it turns out, serves as a masterful smokescreen for maintaining the status quo. But how exactly do the elite manage this sleight of hand? It's through the ideologies they espouse, the virtues they profess, and, importantly, through their denial of the overarching power they wield. This power, unseen yet omnipresent, 
orchestrates a world where the elite not only dictate the terms of progress, but also ensure that they remain firmly at the helm, benefiting extensively from the structures of global capitalism. Meanwhile, the masses are left to contend with the remnants of a feast they had little part in. The mechanisms of this preservation of power are multifaceted and deeply embedded. Take the future of work, for example, a domain fraught with uncertainty. Here, the elite's predilection for predicting a jobless future serves not as a call to action for the betterment of workers' rights, but as a strategic ploy to preemptively quash them. Similarly, the world of philanthropy and culture is not immune to the influence of wealth. The funding of cultural institutions by questionable sources raises ethical dilemmas about the role of money in shaping our societal values and priorities. In this complex tapestry of power dynamics, even symbols of empowerment such as Wonder Woman are scrutinized for their potential to inspire genuine societal shifts toward gender equality. Could pop culture icons truly pave the way for meaningful change? Or do they merely perpetuate the existing narratives crafted by the elite? Through this exploration, a critical truth emerges. The rhetoric of change, as championed by the world's most powerful, often masks a deeper intention to perpetuate their dominance. As we peel back the layers of this illusion, the challenge becomes clear. To envision and forge pathways to a truly equitable future, one that transcends the confines of the narrative set by the elite. Part 1. Redefining Progress. How Corporate Power Shapes Our Vision of Change. In the aftermath of the global financial crisis, a generation of young adults stood at a crossroads contemplating their future roles in society. Among them was Hilary Cohen, a recent philosophy graduate imbued with the desire to contribute positively to the world. As she navigated the possibilities, from nonprofit work to religious leadership, Cohen gravitated toward a more contemporary solution, harnessing the power of entrepreneurship for social good. This inclination wasn't unique to Cohen, but resonated with many of her peers, all wrestling with similar dilemmas about affecting societal change. The prevailing narrative has been carefully crafted by corporate elites who have skillfully redefined the concept of social progress to align with their interests. This transformation reflects not just an ideological shift, but a tactical adaptation to the growing discontent over inequality, a topic that has surged in public consciousness. In fact, Americans' interest in inequality, as measured by Google searches, dramatically spiked in the years leading up to 2014, underscoring a rising awareness and concern over the issue. This period of heightened interest coincided with revelations from economic scholars like Thomas Piketty, whose work laid bare the stark disparities in income growth between different socioeconomic tiers. Piketty's findings illustrated that, while the top 10% of earners saw their income soar, the remaining half of the population experienced negligible increases, a mere $200 over several decades. It was against this backdrop of glaring economic disparity that young adults like Cohen felt compelled to act. The conviction that business and capitalism could be leveraged as instruments of social change took hold, leading Cohen to pivot her career toward management consultancy. In her mind, 
this path offered a pragmatic way to address societal issues using the very mechanisms of the system that many critiqued for creating them in the first place. What Cohen and her peers were subscribing to, perhaps unknowingly, was the ideology of neoliberalism. At its core, neoliberalism champions the virtues of the free market, positing that the pursuit of individual goals within this system, minimally encumbered by regulation or state intervention, ultimately leads to the greatest happiness and prosperity for all. Within this framework, large corporations and the business elite are viewed as agents of change, uniquely positioned to apply their acumen to tackling challenges like poverty through market-based solutions. However, this approach carries significant risks, particularly in terms of power dynamics and the distribution of resources. By placing the wealthy and the corporate elite at the helm of social change initiatives, difficult but necessary conversations about inequality and power distribution are often sidelined. The underlying conflict is clear. For a more equitable sharing of resources to occur, those in positions of power would need to cede some of their privilege, an action that stands in direct opposition to the preservation of their status. Thus, the redefinition of social progress by corporate interests not only shapes public perceptions, but also mitigates challenges to their authority, ensuring that the status quo is maintained under the guise of societal advancement. Part 2. The Mirage of the Win-Win Scenario Balancing the Scales of Inequality and Progress The notion of a win-win outcome, where every situation holds a promise of mutual benefit for all parties involved, has long been championed by the successful and the aspirational alike. This concept, popularized by the influential book The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, suggests an ideal of harmony and reciprocal gain in every endeavor. While commendable in theory, particularly in personal development, the application of this principle by society's elite layers reveals a more complex and often problematic reality. The essence here is that the win-win doctrine, as wielded by the powerful, offers the illusion of universal benefit. It perpetuates the belief that the prosperity of the already prosperous naturally cascades to everyone else, insinuating that meaningful social change can be achieved without sacrifice or discomfort. This narrative promises a world where corporate gains and societal advancement go hand in hand, creating a picturesque yet misleading portrayal of progress. Yet, reality stubbornly resists such simplistic formulations. Consider the pursuit of technological advancements aimed at boosting productivity. Justin Rosenstein, notable for his role in creating Facebook's like button and later for his venture into developing collaboration software, embodies this ethos. Rosenstein's belief that technology can foster greater efficiency across sectors, from healthcare to government and beyond, seems like a straightforward application of win-win thinking. However, this perspective fails to account for the deeper systemic imbalances it glosses over. The unsettling truth is that while the United States has seen remarkable leaps in productivity over the last few decades, these gains have not been equitably shared. A substantial portion of society has seen little to no increase in wages, despite contributing to this surge in efficiency. Data from the Economic Policy Institute starkly illustrates this disconnect. Between 1973 and 2014, American workers became 70% more productive, 
yet median wages rose by a paltry figure of less than 10%. This dissonance is not necessarily rooted in malicious intent on the part of innovators like Rosenstein. Many tech entrepreneurs genuinely aim to make a positive impact. However, their adherence to the win-win narrative blinds them to the entrenched injustices that undermine such lofty goals. The belief that one can simultaneously enrich oneself and universally uplift society is an attractive fallacy that sidesteps the harsher realities of systemic inequality. Addressing these disparities requires a willingness to confront uncomfortable truths, that elevating the conditions of the broader populace might not always align with the profit motives of corporations. Real progress, in the sense of widely shared prosperity and enhanced social welfare, demands a critical examination of how productivity gains are distributed. Only through such introspection and subsequent action can the promise of a genuinely win-win scenario become a tangible reality for society at large, rather than a convenient metaphor that serves the interests of a select few. Part 3. The Illusion of Powerlessness How Elites Maintain Control by Denying Their Influence Imagine a world where flipping the script on power and influence has become a masterful art form. In this world, those who hold the reins of economic and social dominance cleverly position themselves as bystanders to the future, as mere spectators to the inevitable. This scenario might seem like something out of a speculative fiction, yet it mirrors a reality we navigate daily. At the heart of this reality is a profound insight. The powerful maintain their grip on the status quo by denying the extent of their power. This tactic is not merely about deflecting attention. It's a strategic maneuver designed to shape the future in a way that benefits those at the top, all while appearing to have no hand in its direction. Consider the vision of a future populated by individual entrepreneurs, championed by the business elite. This isn't just an optimistic outlook on technological empowerment. It's a narrative that conveniently supports a model where traditional employee benefits become obsolete, further enriching those who are already wealthy. By portraying themselves as passive observers or humble prophets forecasting the unavoidable, the elite expertly navigate a landscape where they can advocate for their interests under the guise of inevitability. This portrayal serves a dual purpose. It pushes for a specific version of the future, beneficial to them, and dodges the responsibility that comes with power. The corporate sphere is rife with examples of this phenomenon. Take Uber and its narrative of being a plucky underdog taking on the entrenched taxi cartels. Here, venture capitalists like Shervin Pishava cast the company as a disruptive force challenging an unfair status quo. Yet, when scrutinized for its treatment of drivers, Uber's defense in court paints a different picture, one of a mere technology platform that connects drivers and passengers, ostensibly absolving it of responsibilities typically shouldered by employers. However, this claim of powerlessness was critically examined by Judge Edward Chen, who highlighted the considerable authority Uber wields over its drivers, from setting detailed behavioral expectations to terminating their employment for minor infractions. This situation starkly illustrates the contradiction at play, the denial of power as a facade for its exercise. Indeed, the strategy of denying power serves more than to sidestep accountability. 
It's a mechanism through which control is preserved and profit is maximized, all while the facade of egalitarian progress is maintained. Through this lens, the narratives spun by the powerful are revealed not just as visions of the future, but as blueprints for a world optimized for their benefit. A world where their role as architects is obscured by the illusion of inevitability and powerlessness. Part 4. The Rise of Thought Leaders. How Simplistic Solutions Uphold the Status Quo. In an era where the pace of information exchange has accelerated, the streams through which we consume ideas have also transformed. Gone are the days of leafing through dense political treatises in our leisure time for most. Instead, we're more likely to engage with ideas in the concise, digestible format of a TED Talk or a viral think piece. This shift towards easily accessible, engaging content has undoubtedly democratized knowledge, but it has also opened the floodgates to a particular type of influencer, the thought leader. The essence of this transition is that elites have found in thought leaders the perfect allies to perpetuate their dominance and maintain the status quo, often without the appearance of doing so. A thought leader springs forth as an optimistic innovator, offering palatable solutions to societal issues that do not challenge the underlying structures of power. They focus on the fixable aspects of complex problems, presenting them as hurdles that can be overcome with the right attitude or approach, thereby avoiding the messiness of systemic change. Consider the pervasive issue of gender inequality in professional and public spheres. While feminists and scholars might delve into the deep-rooted societal norms and power dynamics contributing to this disparity, proposing solutions that often require significant shifts in perspective and sacrifice from those in power, thought leaders offer a different narrative. An emblematic example of this can be seen in one of the most popular TED Talks, where social psychologist Amy Cuddy suggests that women can confront gender inequality by adopting a power pose reminiscent of Wonder Woman. This notion, while empowering on an individual level, simplifies the complex machinery of discrimination into something that can seemingly be addressed through body language. It's an alluring proposition that bypasses the need for systemic reform, presenting a solution that doesn't disrupt the existing power structures. Essentially, it allows those in positions of power to nod towards progress without relinquishing any control or confronting their accumulated advantages. Such optimistic, surface-level interventions are characteristic of thought leadership and align perfectly with the interests of the elite, who are invested in a narrative of progress that doesn't endanger their position at the top. By championing ideas that require no fundamental change, thought leaders inadvertently become instruments in the service of preserving the status quo. This orchestration ensures that the facade of social advancement is maintained. Simultaneously, the deeper, more uncomfortable conversations about power redistribution and systemic overhaul are sidestepped. In this manner, thought leaders, possibly with the best intentions, contribute to a societal stagnation where substantive change is sacrificed on the altar of palatable, quick fixes. It's a cunning arrangement that allows the elite to appear engaged with societal betterment while ensuring that their hegemony remains unchallenged. Part 5. The Limitations of Corporate Problem-Solving on Social Issues 
Step into the high-pressure world of job interviews at elite consultancy firms, where you might be asked to estimate the number of ping-pong balls that could fit into a Boeing 747. This isn't just a test of your numerical prowess. It's a challenge designed to assess your ability to tackle problems with a refined, logical methodology, breaking them down into manageable parts, analyzing them with data, and pitching a coherent solution. This approach, championed by firms like McKinsey, has set the gold standard for problem solving within the corporate realm. But does this model hold up when we venture beyond the boardroom and into the realm of social issues? The central concern here is the significant oversight that arises when business-centric problem-solving tactics take center stage in addressing complex social concerns. While McKinsey's formula for dissecting and solving problems has propelled it to the pinnacle of corporate success, its application beyond corporate interests often leads to a glaring neglect of the nuanced realities of human lives and the unintended consequences that such methods can induce. Consider the relentless pursuit of optimization in the business world. To a corporation like Starbucks, the primary aim is to fine-tune operations to peak efficiency and profitability. However, when such practices dictate the scheduling of employees with ruthless precision, prioritizing business needs above all, the collateral damage is significant. Workers find themselves trapped in a cycle of unpredictable hours, unable to foresee their earnings, manage their expenses, or secure reliable childcare. A stark illustration of how an optimization-first approach can wreak havoc on the stability and well-being of individuals. The ramifications become even more pronounced when business strategies are employed as the primary lens through which global social challenges are viewed. This perspective inherently favors the powerful, glossing over their potential complicity in the issues at hand. Take the case of global poverty, an arena where corporations often tout business as both the hero and the solution. Initiatives like TechnoServe's efforts to connect people with markets and information certainly sound noble, but they skate over the root causes of poverty, such as unfair labor practices and inadequate wages, areas where businesses often play a direct role. Addressing these underlying factors would necessitate a critical examination of how corporate profit maximization frequently occurs at the expense of the most vulnerable. This scenario reveals a troubling paradox. In the rush to apply corporate problem-solving frameworks to social issues, the very methodologies intended to offer solutions can end up sidelining or even exacerbating the problems. The emphasis on efficiency and optimization, while advantageous in a business context, fall short when confronted with the intricate, deeply entrenched challenges of society. It underscores a pressing need to broaden our problem-solving repertoire, incorporating approaches that fully acknowledge and engage with the complexity of human lives and the structural inequities that shape our world. Part 6. The Veil of Philanthropy. Masking Wealth's Unjust Roots. Imagine strolling through the prestigious corridors of some of the world's most renowned museums, admiring the art housed within the Sackler Wing. This name, adorning the halls of cultural institutions from New York to Paris, represents not just philanthropy, but a legacy carefully constructed by one of America's wealthiest families, the Sacklers. 
At first glance, their generous contributions to the arts might seem like the epitome of giving back. Yet, beneath this veneer of benevolence lies a complex and troubling narrative that underscores a significant issue. Wealthy individuals often use philanthropy as a cloak to obscure the questionable foundations of their fortunes. The crux of this matter lies in understanding the source of the Sacklers' immense wealth and the dualism inherent in their philanthropy. This wealth was generated by the aggressive marketing and sales of OxyContin, a potent painkiller developed by their pharmaceutical company, Purdue. While on the surface, the Sacklers' donations to museums might appear as acts of unparalleled generosity, a deeper investigation reveals a connection to a national crisis. The opioid epidemic in the United States, which has claimed thousands of lives due to addiction and overdose. The opioid crisis, fueled in part by the widespread use of OxyContin, highlights a disturbing contradiction between the Sacklers' public image as philanthropists and the social damage their business has inflicted. Despite OxyContin's contribution to a significant public health disaster, the family's philanthropic activities have allowed them to cultivate an image of respectability and generosity. This strategic diversion has enabled them to distance their public persona from the devastation caused by their product, a move replicated by other wealthy figures looking to sanitize their wealth's origins. The alarming rise in opioid-related deaths, quadrupling within 15 years of OxyContin's introduction, signals the severity of the issue at hand. Despite early warnings from health officials regarding the drug's addictive potential, Purdue's aggressive push to market OxyContin continued unabated. The company's resistance to regulatory measures aimed at mitigating addiction risks, coupled with its downplaying of the drug's addictiveness, eventually led to a substantial legal penalty. Yet, the fine, while significant, barely dented the family's vast fortune. This scenario demonstrates a broader pattern. Philanthropy, particularly when performed conspicuously and on a grand scale, can serve as a strategic tool for the wealthy to cultivate a positive public image, effectively deflecting scrutiny from the more unsavory aspects of how their wealth was amassed. The opulent museum wings bearing the Sackler name stand as testaments not only to the family's contributions to the arts, but also to the capacity of philanthropy to whitewash the more contentious facets of wealth accumulation. Institutions benefiting from such donations are seldom incentivized to examine the provenance of these gifts, further complicating the ethics of philanthropy in the context of social justice. In this manner, the practice of philanthropy emerges as a double-edged sword, offering both genuine support for public goods and a convenient avenue for the elite to obscure the injustices intertwined with their wealth creation. Part 7. A World Divided the growing chasm between global elites and the masses. In September 2016, a gathering of the world's elite at the Clinton Global Initiative highlighted a perplexing question troubling their ranks. Why the widespread animosity toward them from the general populace? This moment of introspection among the socially conscious elite was indicative of a larger, unsettling reality. The world is starkly divided between those who benefit from the machinery of global capitalism and those who find themselves sidelined, unable to partake in its rewards. This division has fueled a palpable anger towards the global elite 
and anger manifesting across different geographies and political landscapes. From the unexpected rise of Donald Trump and Brexit to the increasing popularity of right-wing parties across Europe, a pattern of rejection has emerged against the elite's vision of a borderless, technocratic world governed by the principles of unfettered market mechanisms. In response, a significant portion of the global populace is gravitating towards ideologies that emphasize nationalism, xenophobia, and a populist skepticism of globalization. The roots of this division run deep and have accumulated over years, with economic and social disparities widening the rift. However, it's only recently that the elite have begun to grapple with the depth of discontent. The cleavage in the modern world is no longer simply about wealth disparities, but has evolved into a profound ideological divide. Globalists versus anti-globalists. Globalists represent the mobile, influential class that thrives in a world without borders, benefiting from advancements in technology and economic globalization. Their identity is often more closely aligned with their counterparts in distant lands than with those in their immediate surroundings. Conversely, the anti-globalists are typically those with deep roots in their local communities who have watched as their economic prospects stagnate, their healthcare systems degrade, and their children's futures become increasingly uncertain. This group feels forgotten by a global elite that appears to prioritize profit and international interests over local well-being. This stark contrast has led to a rejection of the notion that the prosperity of the elite somehow trickles down to benefit everyone. It's a rejection of being governed by a distant class whose decisions seem disconnected from the everyday realities of those struggling to make ends meet. The plea for attention and respect from the masses confronts an elite potentially unwilling to relinquish any part of their privilege for the greater good. The evolving world order, characterized by this profound divide, raises critical questions about the sustainability of global capitalism as it currently operates. It's a call to action for the elite to recognize the consequences of unchecked profit motives and to consider more equitable and inclusive approaches. Whether this call will be heeded remains an open query, but what is clear is that the status quo is increasingly untenable for the vast majority, signaling a possible tipping point in the global socioeconomic landscape. Final summary. The seductive narrative peddled by the global corporate elite has effectively ensnared us into believing that the path to a better world is exclusively through their tools and methodologies. This influential group, adept at weaving tales of benevolence and progress, purports to champion the cause of social justice. Yet, beneath the surface of their philanthropic endeavors and innovative solutions lies a starkly different reality. A reality where strategies and maneuvers are meticulously designed to preserve the status quo rather than disrupt it. Central to this preservation is the role of thought leaders, the charismatic proponents of change, whose eloquent speeches and convincing presentations are all but a facade for maintaining the existing power dynamics. These figures, celebrated for their insights and forward thinking, are, in fact, instrumental in upholding the interests of the powerful. Through their rhetoric of optimism and selective problem-solving, 
they divert attention from the root causes of societal issues, offering surface-level fixes that fail to challenge the fundamental inequalities. The elite, for their part, employ a variety of tactics to ensure their continued dominance. From co-opting the language of social change to strategically deploying their wealth in philanthropy, they craft an image of themselves as harbingers of progress. Yet, this image belies their vested interest in a system that privileges their prosperity at the expense of genuine societal advancement. The win-win scenarios they espouse, the denial of their power, and the manipulation of public discourse through thought leaders are but components of a larger scheme to perpetuate their influence. In essence, the corporate elite's claim to be working toward the betterment of all is a carefully constructed illusion, one that masks their relentless pursuit of maintaining control. While they present themselves as the vanguards of innovation and equity, their actions and priorities tell a different story, one of prioritizing self-preservation over meaningful change. It's a revelation that calls into question the very foundations upon which their authority is built and challenges us to rethink who truly has the power to affect positive change in our world. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.